0: Well, good morning. How is everybody? Asleep? <laughs> I mean, the, the game was good. I know, uh, I know y'all. it wasn't that late of a game. Hey, uh, glad to see y'all this morning. When we started this series, the, the idea was that our stories matter to God. I had to check my glasses to make sure I got mine and not his. <clears throat> we see as we, as we go through the book... We see the lives of people, real people, and how their stories impact others, how their stories have impacts on their lives, have consequences, both positive and negative. And we wanted to show you guys that, just like those people, our stories are all similar. Our stories matter. We see stories of, of struggle, struggle with faith. We see faith getting people through. We see frustrations we see rejection and determination. Ultimately, what the hope is is that our lives show that God is good. These stories of ours show that God is good and that faith in Him is the best way to live. We also wanted to, for you to know that, that as church leaders, we're not withdrawn from struggles. When we say that we know what it's like to struggle with faith even. We we mean it. It's it's real. It's serious. It's something that's that's impact our lives is our lives too. We want you to know that our own experiences haven't been perfect. And to you to know that your church leadership, when we look you in the eyes and say, we know how you feel, we understand, we, we do mean it. We started with Pastor Mike's story, and we're ending the series with mine. So here we go. My early life, I was born in Macon, Georgia, to a great set of parents. My dad was a chemist, a scientist of sorts. We made our own Gatorade. Yes, that's little Tyler. My mom, if I let my hair grow right now, it'll do the same thing. Um, If... My mom was an elementary school teacher and made, made absolutely sure that I knew my homework was supposed to be due on time. Terse, you don't have to take a picture of it. I'll text it to you later. <laughs> Both sets of my grandparents lived nearby and were absolutely involved as, in as much as they, they could be. In my life, honestly, growing up was really good. There was rec ball, and, and sw- we had a swimming pool in our backyard. There was dirt bikes, hunting, playing in the woods, and let me tell you, football was my thing. My dad was my coach early on. He also coached baseball. As I got a little bit older, he became a softball coach to coach my sister and be involved in her life. My mom was either the team mom or the cheer coach for every team we were involved with growing up. As we got a little older and got into to school sports, my parents were the booster club parents. They were there at every single thing they could have been. And even were such great examples. We once had a foreign exchange student from Japan, and they adopted a teenager of a family that we knew who their, their setting was. She wasn't going to graduate from high school, and my parents stepped in willing to take her on as their own. And this picture is my entire family with my father, my, my adopted sister, myself, my mother, and my biological sister. I'll tell you, church was a major part of our lives. My mom taught Sunday school we very, very rarely missed as a family. I I would even go as far as almost to say that I started attending church about nine months before I was born, but I was a preemie and clearly I've outgrown any effects from that. You see, my parents had committed when they started dating and were married that they were going to raise their family in church and that was important to them when they got married when when I came along when my sister came along we were absolutely in church my dad had been involved in in church and as uh in college and as a young adult when they got married my mom's family all attended the same church her parents brothers sisters everybody was at the same church so my dad migrated there and i, I when i say i'm thankful i i cannot say it any more sincerely, I don't know of a better way to say it, other than I'm absolutely thankful for the experiences and knowledge that I got from the way I was raised. But within a few years of the point I'm at in the story right now, things got sideways. And perhaps I am a living example of a proverb, Proverb 22, verse 6, that says, start your children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they won't turn from it. By the time I'd gotten into middle school, my dad was playing in a Christian contemporary band called Lighthouse. A really, really cool band, really cool group of people. The influence of that band was, was probably a major turning point in my life. You see, the church that I grew up in was Roman Catholic. I'm not going to get on that soapbox this time, but I will tell you I am a creature of habit. And the very liturgical, ritualistic nature of Roman Catholic worship was not good for me. Even today, if I'm not intentional about my routines, I find it very easy to just be going through the motions, to kind of lull myself back into this pattern of just doing because that's what I do. I'd never heard about a relationship with God but that band changed that. When I started tagging along with my dad's band and helping them and running, running lights for them and playing guitar, I'd started playing guitar at that point, and, and helping with things with the band, it changed a lot for me. There's an article on the screen behind me. I know you, you can't read it, but there's a 14-year-old mentioned in this article that was me. That's where kind of my musical roots go back to that band And time with the men and women in that band, but particularly time with my dad running up and down the roads to shows and back and forth to practices led to me starting to ask some very serious questions. By the time I'd gotten to high school, things started changing a little bit. The student athlete life was was very real for me and my family. It was running from one thing to the next; it seemed to never stop. Wednesday night church was not a thing for us. Our church was too far away. We were just too busy. Not to mention, we didn't have a youth group. There was there was very little there for me. There was nothing offered during the week. But. In high school, my friend group started growing. My circle of influence changed, and there were young men and women who invited me to their church, and I really enjoyed hanging out with a few youth pastors from their church. Their churches were a lot closer. It was a lot easier to, to be involved, and the idea of relationship with God took on meaning for me. I started to think it was something that I was, I was actually interested in, and one Sunday we were at our church, we were playing this hymn that, that somebody had written, and it was, it was set to the words of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, we often call it at grace. And we get through this, this model prayer, the, the example Jesus gave us of praying, and I realized that I had zero clue what I had just said. Because what I was doing was mimicking something that I had learned. I was told, memorize this, and say it. And I had every Sunday since the time I was able to say it, and it meant nothing to me. After church... Um, a lot of times when we, when we went to my grandparents for dinner or lunch or whatever after church, my mom and my sister would end up at church a little later than me and my dad because my dad and I were both playing in the band at church, and my dad and I were driving together, and it's just me and him and probably his Corvette, and I said, Dad, I, I need to tell you about this. I told him what I just told you guys, and he says, well, what, what do you, you want to do about it? And I told him that I, I, think, I think I need a change. I, I'm recognizing I'm a creature of habit, and something needs to change. And he says, okay, well, what does that look like? And with my parents' permission, I left my home church. I started attending another church with some friends who their youth pastor, again, had been a major influence in my life and, and, and things were starting to add up and make, make a little bit of sense. But here is where the story goes sideways. In the winter of 2000, my dad started acting a little strange. And it, it led to a fight between he and I. Um, if you ever follow any of my social media stuff, you may have seen some pictures and videos of an old 1970 Chevy pickup truck that the boys and I are in the process of restoring. My dad and I were in that truck. He taught me to drive literally in that truck, um, and it's an old drum brake truck, if that makes sense to anybody. the, The bottom line is it don't stop real well, and the the thing he told me when I was 15 years old and he first tossed me the keys to the thing is, boy, you got to put on brakes early. And for this particular day, what we were doing in the truck, Dad says, I'm driving, we get in the truck, and the first stop sign that he runs, I'm over there doing Fred Flintstone in the passenger side of the truck. And the second stop sign he, he runs, I'm looking at him, like, wanting to say something, but here I am, you know, 16, 17 years old, and I'm, I know better than to say something to my dad. He's my dad. But the third stop sign we ran is a very busy intersection. Um, there have been a lot of people killed at it. He ran the stop sign in a loaded dump truck, missed us by feet. Um, he was tire squealing, swerving into the the center lane, trying to go around us. Um, and dad got the trucks kind of turned it out of the, the highway and... And he's sitting there with both hands on the wheel, and I'm kind of like panting, going, like, What just happened? And I looked at him and I said, Dad, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? And he says, If you don't like the way I'm driving, get out. And I did. I walked five miles home. Um, I've, I know it's five miles because I've driven the route that I walked um, several times since then. And that led to a flat week, seven days, that was a Saturday, and I did not say a word to my father or he a word to me for seven days. Um, I went to work that next Saturday morning, came home, and my dad um, kind of confronted me and uh, because it was abnormal. It wasn't normal for my dad and I to be at odds with one another, and uh, my mom and I had kind of tried to have some conversations with him. My sister was pretty much oblivious to anything going on, but... My mom and I had tried to have a couple conversations with dad, and my dad, we, we grew up in, in the family that dad is in charge, and, and, and confronting dad is disrespectful. It's just something you don't do. So I told my dad that I needed to tell him something that um, I didn't know how to say it other than to just say it, and but that I didn't want him to think I was trying to be disrespectful. And he said, well, now that I know that, just say it. And I said, Dad, I think you got something wrong in your head. And he, he, it was probably the longest three seconds of my life. It, it felt like it was 17 hours um, of him just staring at me. And he said, what do I do about it? And I remember kind of smiling, this smirk that comes across my face sometimes. I said, Dad, I'm 17 years old. How the heck do I know? <clears throat> and I learned probably one of the most important life lessons I've ever learned in that moment. I don't have to know the answer to everything. I just have to know somebody who I can call. And with my dad standing there asking me what to do about it, I ran and grabbed the phone and called my mom's best friend who worked for a nurse, or she was a nurse, and worked for a doctor that we actually knew. And the next day, my dad was in the hospital. Over the next week, we found out my dad had a very aggressive form of brain cancer. It's the same kind that killed Senator John McCain. In a year's time... A man who was invited to the Boston Marathon, a marathon runner, the third fastest man in the state of Georgia the year I was born, was whittled to basically childlike behavior. He was still there, but I had become basically a caretaker with my mom. Football had been my identity throughout my high school years. I was a college prospect, um, was one of the fastest offensive linemen in the state of Georgia, But I was small. I'm short for an offensive lineman. But I was literally the best deep snapper in the state of Georgia. That was supposed to be my year. And I was angry about it. On senior night, I helped my dad from his wheelchair. What you can't see in the picture behind me is just to stand up for that picture he was holding my arm. On May 12th of 2002, dad died. It was Mother's Day. I didn't go to church that morning because I wasn't going to leave my mom with the sh- in the, with dad in the shape he was in. And he his funeral was May 16th. I graduated on May 17th. The night of the 16th was the first time I ever drank a beer. Again, next day I graduated, and very shortly thereafter started having this recurring nightmare. I was dealing with all this guilt from from being upset that my dad was sick. This was supposed to be my year. And a combination of alcohol and fast cars was how I stayed away from it. I partied through the nights. You can't dream, you can't have a nightmare if you don't sleep. Started getting in trouble. I'll say it again, fast cars and alcohol. This time I'm going to add that they don't mix. So I joined the military. I was doing my best to avoid trouble, get out of this hole I was digging myself into. And this is the chapter where I thought things were going to turn around. So I originally entered basic training in the United States Air Force to become a crew chief and work on airplanes. Sounded like a great idea to me. There's lots of things in the future, um, lots of job opportunities after the military. But while I was in basic training, I had a chance to change the course one more time. This recruiter came in and starts telling us about this, this spiel he goes through about some elite special warfare job. And I thought, meh, what the heck? Let's do this. So the next thing I know, I'm off to school to become this lean, mean fighting machine. But there's a problem with this type of community, at least for guys like me, that have the mentality of, of guys like me, the things I, the inclinations that I had, uh, the things I had left, fast cars and alcohol, they, they were now the standard. Along with big guns and jumping out of airplanes and other stunts and feats of stupidity. I thought what was probably going to make a positive change for my life was actually digging the hole deeper and deeper as I got further and further from God. Along the way, I ran into a young lady. Um, We connected each other fairly quickly. She had had a child in high school and given it up for adoption, and she really badly wanted a family. I thought a family would likely heal some wounds from my dad dying. And in that distance from God, I just spoke out, spoke about, um, I showed some error in my judgment. The psalmist wrote that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's from Psalm 147. I wasn't seeking healing in God, I was seeking it elsewhere. Um, We moved, we're married. Um, and moved to North Carolina where I was stationed and Caleb was born. Right after Caleb was born, I immediately headed to Iraq. Spent the next several years together struggling to make ends meet. We didn't fight very often, but then again, I was gone a lot. Uh, Money was tight as it is for a lot of young couples, and I gave absolutely zero grace when it came to extemporaneous spending. Eventually, After about seven years, she said, I don't want to be married anymore. So to this point, what I had learned was that I'm a fighter. I was the only person I could count on. And while discussing what what would become of our lives after her telling me she didn't want to be married anymore, she asked me this question. She said, why are you so hard? I slammed my fist on the coffee table and said, I'm my own rock. I'm the only one I can count on. My dad died. Everybody's left me. Friends have come and gone. I am the only one who's my rock. I don't know if you've ever seen this poster, but this poster literally flashed in front of my eyes. This poster that my mom had in her house. of of footprints in the sand and it's kind of a poem that goes along with it and the gist behind it is this this guy has this dream and he's, he's talking to God and God's explaining to him that the footprints in the sand are where they were walking together and the guy gets kind of upset and asks God well what about the sets times where there's only only one set of footprints why would you leave me alone and God said those are the times I carried you it stopped me in my tracks And next Sunday, we're still in the same house trying to figure out what the future looks like. I got up and she asked me, where are you going? And I said, church. And that Sunday, Dr. Bob Mounts was the interim pastor at First Baptist in Brunswick. He delivered a message from chapter 7 of Matthew, which I'm about to read to you guys. And it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice The only thing rock about my foundation at that point was my hard head. He closed that message and he said these words, I kid you not. Last week, Chad told his story and he talked about being in that that hockey arena and as he closed his eyes and opened his eyes, the difference in the feeling he felt, what he was experiencing. He opened his eyes to see if it was real and 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 then had to close his eyes again and, and, it, and it was very real. I kid you guys not, there were 2,500 people in that church on that Sunday morning and I was sitting right slam in the middle of them. He closes that message and he says this, if there's something wrong in your life, if there's something wrong in your marriage, It may be you. And I tell you, I kid you not, there were two people sitting in that church, him standing on the stage and me. The other 2,499 people were not there. The man pointed right at me, by the way. I promise you, now that I stand on the stage, it's not a gift we have. It just happens. God's doing it. I took the next week, did a lot of soul searching, Did a lot of reflecting in awe of some of the ironic moments that had happened there. And I made a commitment to authentically follow Jesus. There was no more going through the motions. No more, I believe in God. So do the demons. What makes me any different, makes me any better for saying I believe in God? I'm going to follow him. But regardless, my marriage was over. I didn't want to be alone. Loneliness is one of my weaknesses. I didn't want to be alone, and I prayed for a godly woman to come into my life or relief from loneliness, and I settled in to the life of singleness. That's where the relief came from. I spent all my free time in small groups becoming the follower of Jesus that, that I'm supposed to be, and then my last deployment comes up, an, another trip to Afghanistan. Um, my mom had gotten married literally a week before I left, and I'd been in Afghanistan for about two weeks and I got this call that mom had had a massive heart attack and that I needed to come home. The government rushed me home. My best friend and his wife with her best friend, Jill, met me at the airport, took me to see my mom. Uh, after seeing her initially, I had I recognized I'm going to be home for a few weeks. Um, I, we had to go from Atlanta back to Brunswick so I could get a car. Um, Jill didn't want me to go alone because it had been a long day and it was the start of something for us. I was home for a few weeks. Mom's condition improved. She ultimately died a few years later, but but mom's condition improved. And while I was home, I did take the advantage of some time to take, go, take Jill out on a few dates. Um, as I ended up having to go back to Afghanistan, and I remember the first mission back. I, I'm riding on a helicopter, a Chinook, if that makes any any difference to anybody in here and we're headed for what we know is a hot lz knowing we're getting into a fight as soon as we get there might not even get to the ground before the fight starts and we're landing uh, i'm not i'm not flying i'm i'm in the back so we're landing completely at the pilot's you know his skill and um if you've ever seen a chinook the seats are cargo nets you sit on cargo nets and the equipment that that the guys who did my job, the the TACPs, the JTACs in the Air Force, we, we always had wires and radios and antennas, and you're always moving stuff around on your equipment trying to find the the most efficient place to put things and the best place for weight to be and all this sort of things. And I had my radios on my back, on my body armor, and I had these two antennas that kind of came up over my shoulder. And, and this pilot lands, and again, we're expecting this fight, and he lands and hits the ground so hard. And I slid down the seat, and all my antennas and cables got tangled up in, in, the, in the cargo net, and I'm trying to get up, and I can't. I'm stuck and I'm saying things that I'm not going to say right now and and I end up like getting my feet under me and just like argh, like pushing up off the floor and I ripped all of my antennas and cables out. My job is to communicate with aircraft, and I have no more antennas, no more wires. So now I get off this helicopter, and like everything has gone wrong. I'm telling the commander, I got to take my equipment off. And he's like, they're shooting at us. And I'm like, I can't do anything about that. Don't let them shoot me. And I'm like, taking my stuff off because now I got to fix everything. And this whole time, what's going through my mind, every single mission before that, it had been. Don't let me orphan my sons. And this time I'm thinking, don't let me break her heart. That mission went you know, fine. It, 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 we, obviously, they, they didn't get me. But the next one, I can't say the same. Um, it was the last mission. We were on a raid. Um, they, they, a lot of what I did was on a raid team. And uh, we were right at the end of the mission, right at the end of the time that we had. And the pilot was telling me he, he didn't have a whole lot of fuel left. And in order for this, the 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 target of this raid was a very high priority person. Um, and our commander was trying to get things together and couldn't. You're trying to get you know 55 guys together, and it's just not always smooth. And I said, Sir, I need you to do me a favor. If we're gonna get to these guys, either that pilot has to see him or I have to see him before we hit that building, and I need to go right now if we're going to get this. And he said, what do you need? And I said, I need six guys. Um, So he gave me six guys. I said, they need to be in shape. I got a mile and a half run, and we took about 10 minutes, all of us wearing somewhere between 40 and 80 pounds of equipment, and ran a mile and a half through this village in Afghanistan, with this pilot up above us who could see us at night, and he's telling us which roads to turn down and which yards to cut through and all these kind of things. And I get my eyes on the building, and I tell him, you're good to go, you can check off. Um, I've got the building. And we, the rest, everybody else comes up. About, about 15, 20 minutes later, they get up there, and my assistant was in that gaggle, and I was in that, that front gaggle, Kenny walks up beside me and says I don't like where we're standing and I said what do you mean and he says we've got no cover there's nothing to protect us right here and I said well I had to get where I could see the building and um, there's not a whole lot I could do about it I'm in the best place I could could be and he says no 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 I get it you I'm not saying you made a bad decision or anything I just I can't I don't like where we're at. I said, I get it, dude. And he says, how about this? Let's stand back to back, kind of like Bubba and Forrest. Y'all, y'all remember that scene in the movie? Let's stand back to back. I've got your back. you got mine. We'll be okay. And the commander asked me to confirm over the radio that we're on the right building. And I turned around to look because they were stacked up along the door. And as I turned around, the first, first shot snapped past my head. And... Uh, everybody starts screaming on the radio trying to figure out what was going on. And the problem was that Kenny and I were in the middle of everybody. And for anybody to shoot at them, they had to shoot through us. So they couldn't exactly do it. So uh, my rifle and Kenny's rifle were the only two that left safe that night. Um, it's a long, long story. But in the middle of this, I stepped up on a berm to be able to see. Kenny stepped up beside me, and I had night vision goggles on, I had a scope on my rifle, and so I've got, my vision is, I don't have peripheral vision. And somebody fired an RPG at us, and it hit a wall about 10, 15 yards in front of us. Kenny saw it, and I didn't. Um, He saw the flash the report when it initially went off, and the straps on our armor go over your shoulders. He was standing beside me, and he grabbed my shoulders and pulled me, kind of to throw me, and the RPG went off in front of us. And Kenny got fragments and junk all down his right side. And he was in between me and all the effects. So here I stand without so much as a scar you can really see. Other than we went over backwards. And all I could think was my rifle's on fire. And if any of you hunters or have ever done anything with a weapon, safety is number one. You don't point a gun at somebody or something you don't intend to harm, all those sorts of things. My rifle is not only on fire, it's on automatic, and my finger's in the trigger well. And I'm going over backwards towards my guys. And all I can think is to go like that. I'm just trying to get my finger out of the trigger well, but I'm going over backwards. I'm trying to catch myself. And I remember my hand and my elbow landing, and then my head and Kenny on top of me, but I was going over backwards. He landed on top of my knees. I didn't really think twice about it. It hurt. I hit the ground and made a weird noise and rolled over and got, got up on a knee. And Kenny got up on a knee, and I, I yelled at him, are you okay? And he yelled at me, are you okay? And we both said, yeah, and we get right back in the fight. We finished the raid. Everything goes fine. Um, and then the next morning, well, it was morning when we got back. But a couple hours later, we decided to get up and we're going to go find something to eat for breakfast. And uh, when Kenny comes out, he's got blood speckles like all down his leg. And I asked him, What's up, dude? What's the deal with that? And um, he goes, I don't know. And he walks back in his room, pulls down his pants to check himself out. And he says, He comes back out and he says, It looks like I've got ingrown hairs all down my leg that like popped overnight or something. And I was like, uh, You okay? And he goes, Yeah, I'm fine. Can we go get something to eat. Well, about about a week later, Kenny and I both finally level with one another. If any of you ever played ball, you get hit. It hurts. You know, It takes a couple days to to wear off sometimes. So uh, we finally level with one another. It, it ain't wearing off. And I'm like, yeah, I can't. <laughs> my shoulder is not right, and I can't feel my leg. And he's like, what do you mean you can't feel, feel your leg? And I went and stabbed myself in the leg and said, I didn't feel it. He goes, dude, you didn't flinch. I said, I told you, I didn't feel it. I can't I can't feel it. He ends up taking me, forcing me to go see a doctor, basically. And the doctor says, he said you stabbed yourself in the leg and you can't feel it. And I went, nope. And I pulled my knife out and went, it was kind of like, it's like a party trick. I can stab myself in the leg and I can't even feel it. And the doc's like, stop doing that. And I'm like, well, I-, I can't feel it. And he goes, that doesn't mean it's Okay. <clears throat> He wanted to medevac me, but I was in charge of, of a lot of the stuff going on at, the sa- at that time. And uh, anyway, what ends up happening is I broke my back. Had no idea. It was several weeks before we figured anything out that I was really even hurt. Um, ended up getting home. Jill and I continued to date. Uh, ultimately got married. And it was her nudge that really pushed me into ministry. She was teaching a third and fourth grade Sunday school Bible study class at our previous church. And the fifth and sixth graders, one Sunday, their teacher had a wreck on the way to church. And they needed somebody to hang out with them. She came into our adult Bible study class and looking for somebody, and she pointed at me and said, Go hang out with fifth and sixth graders. And I'm like, Okay. So I go and hang out with these fifth and sixth graders. Well, the next week, there's no supervision in there. Their teacher still hasn't come back. Somebody comes running in there and was like, Weren't you with the fifth and sixth graders last week? And I said, Yeah. And they said, Go back with the fifth and sixth graders. And that happened the exact same scenario, the exact same way that unfolded for about a month. And I finally said, Am I supposed to teach them something? <clears throat> And they were like, Yeah, that'd be that'd be good if you did that. Like, okay, well I guess I'm a I guess I teach fifth and sixth grade Bible study now. That eventually led me to leading the youth group and a men's small group. Um, I found out In those settings, I found satisfaction for the first time, like real satisfaction. Not like being, like, I'm happy with with my family. Those things are are there. I'm satisfied with that. But my life, who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing, I found real peace for the first time. Now, look, I can't say everything's been perfect. In fact, I'll tell you it's been hard, but it's been worth it. My ex-wife moved across the country and took the kids with her. They eventually ended up living with us full time. And while there are a lot of things in my life I wish I'd done different, I can't change it. And the truth is, I wouldn't because of those two, I wouldn't because of my bride. I've spent a lot of time in the snow doing what I've done for a living and there's only one person in this world who can convince me to lay down in the snow to take a picture and make me smile like that. Further, I would not change it because this is my story. There's so much more to it. I can't tell you all of it in this setting because of time. Maybe I'll share more later. If you ever want to know more, grab me one-on-one and we'll talk. But this is the story God wants me to tell. You see, Paul wrote this in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, and God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. When you or your kids go through tragedy, I don't always know what to say, but I know how you feel. When your marriage is on the rocks, I've been there, and I know the power in a godly way marriage. When your kids rebel, and they need some wisdom before they get scars, I've been there, I've done it, I got the t-shirts. They don't fit anymore. When they do get scars... I've seen how we can fail and fail miserably and allow godly purpose to emerge from it. And above all, I've found this. A foundation on the rock does not mean that there won't be wind and rain and storms. If you look at Matthew chapter 7 that I read earlier and look at both of those houses, both of them had the same storm. It's the foundation that changed the outcome. And I know that there's security in the foundation built on the rock. So here I am, broken, battered, worn, but saved by the grace of God and committed to following. And I know that good can come from my story. And the same is true of yours. Last week, we gave you some tools to help you develop it. If you'll allow it, God can use yours too. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this series, how we've gotten to hear the stories of, of people commit to follow you, to hear their lives, how you've worked in good times and in hard times, and how, Lord, that, that when we follow you, we, real, we do realize it, it is the best way. So God, we ask you to help us do that. Help us follow you seriously. Help us follow you sincerely. Lord, to lean into you, help us remember that a foundation on you doesn't, doesn't change the fact whether or not we we have to deal with storms. But we can handle them knowing we have security in you. Help us remember that. Help us live like it. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Grace Community Church, we hope you all have a great week. We'll see you all in seven days.